Hey listeners, just jumping in quickly before the podcast to notify you about the BodyTrack Academy educational webinars that we have available via Eventbrite. We cover a variety of topics ranging from oncology, musculoskeletal rehab, neurological rehab, mental health performance and much more, all of which you can access 24-7. That means you can purchase the webinar and watch it at any time that suits you. You can claim our webinars as PD points via SS self-assessment tool and as a valued listener of the podcast, you're entitled to $10 off any of our webinars, but do hurry because the code is only available to the first 10 purchases. Just use the code FIRST10. So head on over to Eventbrite and browse our webinars. The link is in the show notes and on the BodyTrack Academy Facebook page. I'd like to begin this podcast by acknowledging the Yagara and the terrible people as the traditional custodians of Mianjin the lands on which our podcast is recorded. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to the BodyTrack Academy podcast created by EPs for EPs. The podcast will take you on an in-depth understanding of everything an EP is faced with on a day-to-day basis, including clinical, personal and business practices to ensure you become the best practitioner possible. If you enjoy the podcast, make sure you like, share, follow us on whatever streaming service you use to ensure the message spreads and you are notified of any new podcast or educational resources available to you. Furthermore, if you're not already part of our online academy, head over to Facebook and join the BodyTrack Academy. Happy listening. If you're listening to this, you are listening to another episode from the BodyTrack Academy podcast series. Uh, And this is now episode number 51. We cracked 50 last week. Uh, So thank you to all our listeners. And I've also just looked at the data and we have about 500, 450 in the US, um, 300 in the UK and another 150 uh, in another country that I've forgotten right now. But if you're there, shout out. Let us know what you think. Give us a like, a follow, uh, share with your colleagues. Uh, We want to spread our podcast as far and wide as possible, including the one that we found in Uganda. So if you're there too, shout out uh, to to the person who's listening in Uganda uh, and let us know what you think. Enough of that though. I'm here today with Will, one of our EPs here at BodyTrack. And we're going to talk about some really, really cool content that you can take away as a practical application straight away. So Will, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for having me. I think this is your second podcast, isn't it? Number two, yeah. Number two. Excellent. Got the nerves out of the first one. And you're oh, ready yeah. to rumble. I'm oh, ready to rumble. There we go. Uh, Will, what are we going to be talking about today? So I wanted to have a chat about exercise progression and progressive overload. Fantastic. Well, let's let's before we go into some of the great examples that you've got there, um, can we just start with a bit of a definition of what progressive overload is for um, getting our getting our record straight? Yep. So progressive overload is progression in one or many different areas um, that results in physiological change to you know, a system, whether it be muscular or neurological or whatever you're trying to achieve. Um, and then within that, um, we can use our said principle. So specific adaptations to impose demands. So essentially, uh, your body adapts to the specific demands placed upon it. Yeah, fantastic. So it's just like the 
kind of the old, like the, the logical thought process where if you apply a stimulus to something uh, and uh, progressively over time, you're going to get some sort of adaptation. And um, I think we talk about that a lot with our clients too around um, when they might have a flare up or they come with, uh, with some pain post, post a bout of exercise that on the weekend that they're not used to as well. Um, so that can also be, be the way that um, you can look at progressive overload being applied safely as well. Would that, would that be the case of what I'm alluding to there as well, Will? Yeah, precisely. And um, what you're sort of alluding to is that there are also different ways to progressively overload, mm. which can help um, when a client is within a, for example, a flare up. And so it doesn't just have to be your classic uh, increase in, in exercise volume yeah. as we think about it. So. Um, usually as, as EPs we think, okay, well, to make this person stronger, we've got to increase their their sets, their reps, uh, their weight, yeah. which are all really good ways to do that. But there are other variables that we can change, particularly in these circumstances where people are within a flare up. Yep, for sure. And I think um, going through that as well, um, and referring back to what, what I was alluding to before is if you're, not doing some form of progressive overload uh, and you're getting your client uh, to come come in and do the same repertoire of exercises um, for a long period of time maybe initially that works but for a long period of time then this is probably the the likelihood that they are going to come to us and maybe have a flare-up because the demands that we are placing on them to have that significant um, adaptation and tissue change is just not at the level it needs to be for what activity they might be doing um, on, on the weekend, for instance. Is, have you experienced those kind of clients as, as well where um, they might be plateauing in, in their sessions that they're doing, doing all too much on the weekend, flaring up, coming back in, you're having to problem solving that a little bit? Yeah, so we're, we're looking at, I guess, so yeah, those clients that are, are doing a little bit too much and might just be, be flaring themselves up uh, with the amount of load they're doing. And it's, it's a good point of education to say, okay, well, we're doing so much in session, but also having a look at what they're doing outside the session, because that's definitely going to contribute um, to their overall presentation as well. And it's, it's not something that people always um, are clued in about, about how much they're actually doing mm. outside. And just going off from that too, you, you, you will get clients, well, particularly here for us, Will, we, we've definitely had clients who have the perception that they are doing enough in sessions with us or externally uh, to then have the capacity to tolerate the demands that they're placing on it externally. But that can be a bit of a difficult conversation to have because sometimes we only see a person once a week for 30 minutes uh, and they're not doing their home exercises and that progressive overload can be hard to achieve by doing that minimal dose, uh, that, that, sorry, that little little um, dose that um, is just not actually enough to stimulate progressive overload and change um, as well. So uh, experiences at all where you've had to sort of mitigate that and, and talk to your clients um, about those changes that are required in terms of their exercise during the week? Have you had those experiences and, and how did it go? Yeah, you're right. It can sometimes be a hard conversation with people and also if you're not seeing the results that they want to see or that you would like to see mm. or that you expect, um, that's one thing to look at particularly uh, is, you know, 
Uh, what are they doing throughout the week? Um, look, I'm seeing you once a week. Uh, is that going to be enough? Are we getting enough stimulus to actually make a, a meaningful change here? And what is that going to require? And, you know, in that circumstance, it might be that, okay, well, let's actually have another session, you know, with myself throughout the week. Mm. Um, you know, that way we know we're getting a minimum two in the week. Uh, and then you can look at, you know, modifying whatever else they're doing. Um, but it can be a good sort of point of education saying, okay, we're not getting results with what we're currently doing. What are we going to change now mm. to try and... Um, to try and meet the goals. Yeah, and I think you've, you've put in a really good point there because, I mean, the, the main aim of all of this in um, in rehab or even in someone who is healthy and just needing and wanting to improve muscle mass or cardiorespiratory fitness, closing the gap between that current capacity and the client's goals of what they want to achieve as well. And, and to be honest, if you're not really reviewing their goals um, frequently enough, then this is where it can start to, we start to miss the point of, uh, of the, or miss the direction or get misguided in terms of how we're going about with their, their weekly exercise. Um, so just to recap, I know you've delved on a little bit more, but there's two main categories of progressive overlay that you can pretty much, there might be some others that are intertwined in this, but just run us through, I guess, those two main categories to make it really simple for our listeners. Yeah, so the first one, as we discussed a little bit about, is um, an increase or a change in total exercise volume. So these are uh, variables such as our, our sets, our reps, our frequency of, of sessions, um, and the weight or the loading that they're doing. Uh, so that's the first category there. And the second being uh, manipulation of performance variables. So, and this includes no increase in volume. So these can be things like task complexity, uh, muscle contraction type, exercise speed, uh, changing you know, your basis support or your stability. Um, and so without um, any increase in actual exercise volume or load, mm. these are things that can be changed uh, as an alternative. Yeah, fantastic. Um, now going back to the first one, uh, the total exercise volume, um, what do you feel, what do you think is the, the way to improve uh, the volume best is it is it sets that you're increasing is it reps like do you p pick one in particular will or are you increasing multiple factors of that um, in the session I know it might be more individualized depending on what the clients goals are but I guess what have you seen work and what hasn't worked in, in terms of actually um, uh, modifying one of those those variables to increase volume yeah so I think um, initially it's good to have uh, at least, obviously at least one session, but having a second session in the week, uh, starting at a bit of a baseline is a pretty good place to start with frequency mm. in terms of resistance training. And as we know, the Australian guidelines actually recommend that twice per week. Yeah. So I think that's a good place to start, but I wouldn't necessarily increase frequency first. So yep. um, typically, reps is something that's pretty easily uh, modifiable, mm -hmm. uh, particularly someone who's you know, a little bit more resistant to lifting heavier weights or is a little bit more fear avoidant about, um, you know, uh, particular like a heavy weight. Uh, increasing reps uh, up into a point of, you know, if you're working within hypertrophy, maybe, you know, up into a 15 rep range. Yep. And then you can really educate your client, okay, well, we're actually going to increase the weight here. 
and before you protest, uh, we're actually going to drop the reps right down. And so that sort of yeah. way of, you know, dropping the reps down by increasing the weight and then building those repetitions back up mm. is something that I found has been a pretty easy way to progress people, particularly if they're a little bit resistant to, like I said, um, you know, really progressing the weight yeah. off the bat. Fantastic. And I think that's a really good way to do it as well because um, we, we now know, and, and for those who might be bound by the ACSM guidelines, just because it's eight to 12 reps is recommended in three sets for hypertrophy and yeah. you do a 13th rep doesn't mean you're outside of hypertrophy and now magically into endurance. That, that's yeah. not how the body works. As Will has said, this is about volume and there is tons of research now that volume can come from uh, low weight and high repetition and multiple sets of it. And you can see muscle mass, in change, uh, muscle mass growth from that as well. Um, and we're talking as little as 40% 1RM here, where you can do that for multiple repetitions, um, multiple sets to increase volume and see those muscle adaptations. Um, so that's, uh, that's a really good way that I think you, you're cutting, cutting that one up there, Will. That's great. Um, and it gets buy-in too from the client as well. Yeah. I think that was a good point you made about fear avoidance of lifting a heavy weight. If that's something you're identifying in your initial assessment with your client, that that structure or that um, uh, the way that you can go through with it um, from a starting platform uh, is is great to do low weight, moderate to high reps, and then increasing and getting their confidence built through that movement as well. Don't always always forget. Um, sorry, don't always forget that there's newbie gains as well. If someone's coming in fresh, never really lifted a weight or been in the gym, you're going to see vast, uh, quick increases from those. Um, neural adaptations as well that we see. Delving into the second one, I was interested to hear about performance variable manipulation. I like that idea. So is there some examples that you can provide in, in some of the clients that you've seen um, around those things that you talked about where task complexity, um, muscle contraction type, exercise speed, and, and what were those variables that you changed and why particularly for that client's goals? If you can just, yeah, unpack that a little bit. Yeah, okay, so I've got a couple clients in mind. Uh, one of them was a, a male, 66 years old, uh, quite chronic knee pain, so a lot to do around the, the meniscus, and he would get that locking and was just really un uncomfortable um, weight-bearing on that, on that leg. Um, made some good progress with him, actually. Um, sort of worked through a bit of fear of uh, behaviours and movements with him. Um, but did get to the stage where a little bit too much volume did sort of push him over the edge and he did experience a flare-up. So had a bit of a flare-up within the knee um, and then that sort of set us back in a bit where we were like, okay, we're not going to keep increasing the volume if that's sort of your current capacity and your current limit. Uh, let's change some other performance variables in the meantime. Uh, so mostly what we focused on was um, that contraction speed, so we kept the weight the same uh, and really just slowed down that eccentric, uh, and he tolerated that really well. And as we know, you get that increased time under tension within the muscle, and that actually um, was a form of, of progression and was able to you know progress with you know, controlling an eccentric load really well uh, without actually changing the actual you know uh, sets, reps, or or, or volume there. Mm. Fantastic. And um, what did this kind of enable the client to then be able to do? Was there some goals that they were working towards 
um, in terms of activity stuff outside of the sessions that you were doing with them, Will? Like, were they having flare up doing gardening or walking or running or anything like that? Was there anything in particular that um, there was an activity avoidance and, and by doing this change in the performance variable, you saw them be able to return to that or be able to tolerate that better? Yeah, probably more so within like an eccentric focus. So within mm -hmm. the knee, um, obviously anything uh, you know, going downstairs or mm -hmm. going upstairs so it's, it's going to be very much uh, quad dominant. And so it gave him a little bit more confidence um, just out and around and around the house and also like during his golfing to um, you know tolerate these kinds of you know, step down, um, I guess, movements a little bit better. So yeah. being able to control uh, like an eccentric load uh, a little bit more comfortably and having more confidence to do so. Fantastic. Um, and then I think the other point I just, I just thought of then actually was the progressive overload when you look at research, it, it is probably more consistent with the first um, the first category that you're talking about, increasing the volume. Now, a lot of clients are going to come to us where they don't, they'll come in and I'll say, I don't want to come in looking like Arnie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, do, we do get that a fair amount. They just want to be able to move freely and, and be having a healthy, well-balanced um, lifestyle, really. So, I guess how do you how do you, how do you mitigate that thought process? Because that's probably a preconceived thought that someone's coming in and going, "Ah, oh, a gym, it's going to make me work harder, lift more weights. I'm going to put on muscle. I'm going to become bulky." Um, these are the conceptions, well, the misconceptions as well that people are coming in with. Are you addressing that in the initial assessment or as it comes up? Um, and what's the importance that you place on the education around progressive overload? Because if, if I was a unassuming client coming in, if I hear the words, I guess, progressive overload, I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to have to lift more, I'm going to have to do more reps, I'm going to have to do um, a progressive overload on a cardio program too, where I have to sprint harder and all those. That, that's probably what I'm thinking. So how do you change that mindset? Um, Will, is there, is there education that you provide, like you've talked about today, is there informative brochures, is there case studies, how do you go about that? Yeah, I think it's um, about clearly laying it out in the initial assessment and managing expectations and it, it really does come back to that sort of said principle and you know, you really want to be uh, specific um, to the demands that you're placing on the body. So if someone comes in, they're like, okay, well I want to get stronger, you're like, okay, well, um, that's going to require some form of progressive overload, which may include, you know, lifting heavy weights or, or increasing your strength in that way, um, and sort of managing expectations that way. So if someone comes in, they're like, okay, well, you know, we know that strength isn't the be all end all, um, and they're like, okay, well, I just want to be, you know, I feel a little bit more balanced on my feet, or, you know, I want to improve. I think it's important to um, specify that we do need some sort of progressive overload. Uh, and define what that is. So, you know, over time we're, we're, we're getting more competent and we're actually challenging the body in different mm. ways. Mm. Um, but we can do this in a, in a variety of ways and it doesn't just have to be through, you know, greater intensity or, mm. or lifting, you know, heavier weights necessarily. There are other ways and, and you know, there's, there's never one way to treat. Um, and yeah, just yep. relaying that information. Yeah, perfect. I think it's great because you, you need to make it very, um, 
particular for your client, very tailored towards your client. Good examples you provided. Some people will come and go, want to be stronger. Unpacking what does strength mean to them as well. What um, uh, what does that refer to in terms of uh, their activities outside of just doing exercise? If they're stronger, what does that enable them to do more efficiently? Um, but then, as you said, there, there'll be clients coming in who are um, geriatric and just want to improve on their balance and reduce risk of fall. Progressive overload still applies to that. It's just in these other theories that you, you've explained. And um, for our listeners, I think the big message there is tailoring it to your client, using what you know about progressive overload and the principles that we've discussed today, um, and then tailoring it and talking in layman's terms to the client of what that actually means, and working alongside them as well. So as you said, Will, that may increase, that may, may involve increasing of weights, reps, sets for that particular person. And simply just tying it back and saying, is that something you feel comfortable doing and achieving over the time? Mm. Getting that agreeance with them rather than just saying, this is what you have to do, um, tying them into it. I'm gonna just go into a little bit of um, discussion around setbacks. So mm. again, you're looking at research, you'll see perfectly laid out progressive overload program for let's say an eight week block we know over eight weeks stuff happens shit hits the fan (laughs) um we we're not always going to get the perfect eight week training block of two or three sessions a week following exactly the increases as they do in trials and and clinical trials and, and how you see it laid out on a research paper what uh, how do you, I guess, navigate those setbacks, Will? Is there, is there any kind of key um, process that you follow if, if you've got someone who's come in and trained really well for three weeks, keep being consistent three or four weeks, and then they go on holiday or they um, do get a flare-up? What, what is your approach to how you change your program when they come back to see you after a period of time off? Well, I think it's important to first uh, educate the clients to say that rehab or progression is rarely linear. So you'll yeah, often definitely. see, you know, little setbacks, and it might be a, a two step forward, one step back kind of process. And um, you know, you're never going to be, you know, have that like you said that that perfect training regime where everything falls into place. Um, and yeah, so I think that that's the first thing is to, to manage the expectations around recovery mm-hmm. is that it's, it's never going to be a, a perfect sort of uh, process and you, you might have setbacks. Um, the second thing to uh, address is how are you actually going to manage these setbacks? So are there any strategies that um, you can give you, the clients to uh, help manage their flare up? And there might be things like little strategies around like heat, um, sort of massage, uh, whatever it might be, or just adequate rest, um, that little tools that they can use to help manage their flare up so they feel like they're, they've got some kind of control over this. Um, and then the third thing to look at is, okay, so what might have you know caused this flare up? Okay, we know if they've gone over on holidays, maybe they just haven't been getting that same stimulus and they might have just jumped back a little bit in their capacity. Um, if they've experienced a flare up, we're looking at, all right, how much um, sort of volume have they done throughout the week? We're looking at their sleep, looking at their nutrition. Obviously, you're, you're going through all those um, psychosocial factors as well, because as we know, they all uh, contribute to the experience of, of pain and and uh, a flare up. 
Um, and then you're thinking about how you're going to uh, try either mitigate that in future or uh, what are you going to change in terms of your, I guess, uh, approach. And so one simple way is to just sort of cut back on the sets and reps. So same with uh, as progressive overload is, you know, building up those things, you can do the reverse. And while someone is within a flare up, you can pretty easily just uh, take those back and, and use that as a form of regression. Yeah. Um, and the, the second one is you can utilize those um, other performance variables and go, okay, look, in the meantime, we're not gonna increase your loading at all, but we are gonna work on some different areas and mm. we can still progress, but things that aren't gonna be irritating or aggravating. Uh, and it doesn't mean we'll be there forever, but it, it can just be a good little intermediate period uh, before we we get you back on track. Yep, I think that's really well, really well done. And again, it's a tailored experience, isn't it, for that, sure. for that client? So, um, I think again, some research you can look at, and it's um, suggestions of a percentage that you cut back on from the weight or the reps or the sets that you do. Again, that's not probably going to be as applicable for the client. So. Um, this discussion today really is about looking at what the research is and how it's done, but then taking it to an actual clinical practice, you have to be adaptable in yourself and do problem solving decision making to achieve the best outcome for the client and having the client involved in that situation as well. So it's not just you saying, this is what you must do. Um, you are providing the professional advice, but getting their buy-in on that as well. Um, so that's, that's a key thing. They can become, in in, per, in my experience, can, can become quite distressed by it as well when they might be feeling like they're on track to uh, improving in their cardiorespiratory fitness, their strength, their uh, muscle mass to be able to achieve that activity that they like to do. Um, a key example that I have is I've got a fair few golfers who uh, like to swing the club way too hard and fast on the weekend <laughs> and have way too much excessive um, and forceful rotation and come in and see me with hips and backs issue, hip and back issues after we've been progressing really well. So the conversation that you were just saying um, and laying it out and educating and having that discussion with your client is the first port of call that you do um, and giving them something else to do in the session that is a sense of achievement. Remember, these people are probably going to come to you going, feeling very distressed and uh, like a huge setback has occurred. A great thing that you've done there, Will, is highlight the um, that second uh, category of progressive overload where you manipulate the performance variable. You can actually do things where they are still getting challenged, they're still progressively overloading but just in a different way. Um, you, you, if they aren't able to take a lot of load through, say, the lower limb, Instead of making it a closed chain exercise, you can do the same muscle group but in an open chain to still get them to feel like they're able to um, get that uh, exercise adaptation, be challenged by it, and uh, and have a sense of achievement. That's, that's I think, a key outcome from that. Um, any other comments that you have before we, we wrap this up with a few points uh, at all, Will? Is there any other case studies that you had that our listeners would be able to feed off to um, apply in their practice. The other one I had was pretty similar circumstance, but mm -hmm. in terms of a sort of different field of condition. Um, so this was a 47-year-old female client of mine who's um, coming with rheumatoid arthritis. Um, and so obviously within that condition, there's 
uh, a, a little bit that can change throughout the week and can sometimes come in a lot more flared up than usual, um, you know, particularly within the hands or the wrists. Uh, and that's where we can really uh, alter and change those um, you know, performance variables. So uh, particularly if it's within the hands um, and they're unable to, to tolerate really any load through, through the wrists, um, that's when you can okay. Let's let's see what we can what we can change, uh, and then keep our exercise volume the same, so we're not actually you know continuing uh, or sorry continually going into another flare up, uh, but we're actually uh, changing things in a way that it doesn't exacerbate the flare. Fantastic, that's good. Um, and is there any like, key examples of exercises that you would? Uh, adapt in that situation. If you can cast your mind back to that case, <laughs> I've put him on the spot here. Yeah. yeah. Um, what I would say is probably what we have gone through most is changing our isotonic movements as well mm, to more yeah. of an isometric. And so one of the changes that you can make is um, sort of the muscle contraction type. Mm, yeah. uh, and so it's typically tolerated uh, a lot more than than moving through a full range of motion. So if we can, you know, increase the the time under tension again. So we're thinking about okay, well, uh, maybe we're not doing uh, crab walks or hip abductions. Uh, maybe we're going to do a flamingo on the ball and just hold that position, yeah. or even a single leg stance. Yeah. And that, yeah. and still trying to to get to a point of muscular fatigue. Mm -hmm. Because um, that's going to be key. You know, you want to hit muscular fatigue before you hit, you know, a pain threshold. So you, you know you're getting, you know, a good stimulus there. Mm. Um, but changing that muscle contraction type to a position that's not going to be irritating, and then just increasing that time under tension to try and get a similar kind of intensity. And yeah. and you work in the same muscles in that case. You just uh, work in a bit more stability rather than uh, strength through range. Yeah, perfect. And just to add to that too, the other. Comp the component that that you address there is you're still getting the the client to feel confident of contraction around a painful area because we know there is a downward cycle of pain and inhibition of the the musculature around there um, and it's that breaking that difference of I'm in pain I need to rest which is what the client is probably thinking um, to actually we can still load this appropriately we just need to scale back and find out what's suitable for you so your examples there will affect were great where you're going from a a crab walk which is more of that closed kinetic chain to um, an isometric hold where you're doing a flamingo um, where it's still targeting that lateral hip still in a closed chain but then it, and, and that's that's a great way to to keep establishing that corticomotor as well so the brain and the muscle connection to know that they can get that um, activation of the muscle there and, and in some ways as well and anecdotally speaking it's almost like a bit of an analgesic effect too if they're having a bit of a lateral hip discomfort that isometric exercise can actually mitigate some of that discomfort they're feeling and they actually start to feel a bit better as well side note there though um, but then like the, the last thing you can do from that is make it open chain so you can actually even regress it further to a side-lying clam or a side-lying straight leg um, uh, straight leg raise under an isotonic or an isometric so that there's so many different ways that you can just continually problem solve and to get to the point of the client feeling like they are getting uh, benefit from the session and that they're you know two birds one stone they're, they're feeling like they're in this case, their hip is getting 
better and it's not not increasing pain it's actually feeling a bit better and they're continuing to establish muscle um, activation around that area and giving them confidence to um to be able to uh, progress from that that flare up of that pain that they, they've experienced i think that might do us will thanks so. what so. what's uh what would the the main takeaways be here for you uh, for our listeners um my main takeaways would be uh, just understanding the the two different ways that you can or the two different categories you can progress for the overload and just have yeah. those in your back pocket so having ways that, that you can modify the session but still um, keep you keep your, your client progressing forward uh, without necessarily having to, to, to push them into you know increased weight or, or reps um, and then the second one would be just to just to keep it specific so um, Try and change variables that are still going to benefit the client, and um, whether it be you know stability or you know eccentric mm. contraction. Um, try and keep it specific to whatever the client's goals are. Fantastic, great takeaway points there for our associates. Uh, Will, thank you very much for episode number fifty-one. Thank you, Dan. Us, uh, and as always, you can uh, follow us on the Body Track Academy Facebook. We've got resources, etc on there there's also access um, to our educational webinars that you can uh, purchase as well we've got a code first 10 for discount off that uh, and if there is those listeners out in the states ireland uk i think there's a couple others in there reach out let us know what you think what do you want to listen to or what do you want to hear from us as well because um, we are a clinical practice uh, for exercise physiology only Thanks very much, listeners, and we'll be back shortly. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast, so remember to share, like, or follow to keep updated with all our podcasts and educational resources.